Amen. Thank you. That was beautiful. God be praised. What a precious, precious day that we get to celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christmas Day on this Sunday. Uh, Well, for our Advent series, we've been taking a look at a psalm each week that's highlighting the different themes of Advent, hope, love, joy, peace. And so today we come to Psalm 29. So if you have a Bible, grab it and turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms is about midway point in the Bible. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a pew Bible there in front of you. And you can turn to page 461. Psalm 29. If you wonder how in the world does this psalm fit into the, the Advent season, well, you got, you got to stick with the psalm until we get to verse 11, until we get to the final verse there. But, but don't look ahead. Don't spoil it. Uh, let's, let's start at verse, verse 1. The psalmist writes, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The the God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you that you demonstrate your grace to us this morning because you're a God who speaks. That's a gracious act of your part, on your part, in and of itself. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come now and would open our eyes spiritually to see the truth revealed here help our minds to comprehend it help our hearts to cherish it it's in Jesus name we pray amen you'll shoot your eye out kid I think that's the only accent for this sermon so rest up uh Many of you are familiar with that line, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, because it comes from the famous Christmas movie, A Christmas Story, as Ralphie is just obsessed with getting a Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas. And every time he shares with his parents or his friends, his relatives, or even Santa Claus himself, 
Ralphie is met with the same resistance, the same line. It's a refrain. No, kid, you'll shoot your eye out. Of course, you know later on in the movie, he nearly shoots his eye out as he shoots at uh, the fence and it ricochets back and hits his eye. Why do I bring up that story this morning? Because the theme for this weekend in my heart has been a concern for myself and a concern for you. That in the midst of the busyness of the Christmas season, there really is a danger. There's a great danger that in the midst of celebrating Christmas, ironically, we can have a tendency to lose sight of Jesus. And what's beautiful about this psalm is this psalm is the remedy for that danger. Because this psalm lifts our eyes up to Jesus. It reminds us why Jesus is worthy of our worship. Because the little baby that came in that manger in Bethlehem proved through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection and ascension that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So this morning, as we explore Psalm 29 together, I want to point your eyes to King Jesus and why we gather to worship Jesus as King today. There are seven, I know, seven reasons I see in this passage of why Jesus is worthy of your worship. I'll try not to keep us till next Christmas. The first reason that Jesus is worthy of our worship this morning is because Jesus is an eternal king. He is an eternal king. He's had that office within himself since before he created time itself. And we see that at least in two places in this passage. We see it in verse 1 and verse 10 how Jesus is the eternal king. It says, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. In other words, it points to the fact that the psalmist is commanding even the angels, the the cherubim and the seraphim, to worship the Lord. We know that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We know that because this covenant name of God, Jesus applies to himself a number of times to the Gospels. And if you remember, Jesus says in John's Gospel, before Abraham was born, I am. In the Greek, it's ego eimi, which is the covenant name of God, I am. So it's not a stretch at all that this psalm is applicable to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What Jesus is saying is, the eternal God of the universe, that's me. Why do we gather this morning to worship King Jesus? One of the reasons we gather is because he is 
the eternal king. He reigns forever. Look at verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. What's the point? He has no beginning. He has no end in his being. And neither does his reign. Reminds me of a story about a young Jewish boy, a young Catholic boy, and a young Presbyterian boy that were friends in school. And around this time of year, they wanted to explore what worship services were like with one another. And so they got the parents to agree to let them each go visit the synagogue, a Catholic mass, and then a Presbyterian worship service. They first went to the Jewish synagogue, and the rabbi pulled out the scroll. He read from the prophet Isaiah, and, and, the, and the Catholic kid and, and the Presbyterian kid was like, what does that mean? And he said, well, that's the scroll, and he's reading from the Torah, explained it. So next they went and visited a Catholic mass, and it came time to, to celebrate uh, the Eucharist. The, 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 the Catholic priest lifted up the cup, and, and, and the little Presbyterian kid and the, the, the little Jewish boy asked, well, what does that mean? And they said, well... The, in our system, we believe that when the priest raises up the, the, the cup, that the, the blood really turns into the blood of Christ. It's called transubstantiation. And, and the Presbyterian said, okay, that's different than, than what we believe. And then finally, they came to visit the Presbyterian minister, uh, Presbyterian church. And the Presbyterian minister got up to preach, and he took off his watch and he laid it right there, right before he's getting ready to preach. And the, the little Catholic boy and the little Jewish boy looked at the little Presbyterian boy and said, What does that mean? And the little Presbyterian boy said, Not a thing. <laughs> I'll try to be mindful of time, but some of you may think that I preach on for eternity. And time can wax and wane. But this is not a boring truth about King Jesus. That he is the eternal king that has no beginning, has no end. He is the one who was and is and is to come. And for that reason alone is enough of a reason to gather here on this Christmas day and worship King Jesus because he is the eternal king. The second reason that Jesus is worthy of our worship this morning is that he is a holy king. He's a holy king. He says that in verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It says right there, it points to the holiness of God even in the words there. But the idea of God's glory means to give him the weight that's due his name. For those of you that gathered for Christmas celebrations, I'm sure that the, the patriarch of the family, the, the father or grandfather, got to sit at the head of the table. Why? Because it's the weight that's due his authority and his name and his place in the family structure. That's a picture of what's going on here. That we're going to give Jesus, King Jesus, the weight, the honor, and the glory that's due him. But you see in this passage the name Lord 18 times. Where do we first see that name Lord in all capitals explained in the scriptures? Do you remember? It's with Moses at the burning bush. God appears to Moses in the burning bush, a picture of God's 
holiness. And you remember what God, Yahweh, says to Moses? Take off your sandals because the place that you're standing is holy ground. Not only does this psalm point to the fact that Jesus is holy by saying his holiness, but the, the, the name of God, Lord Yahweh, points to the holiness of God. This week, Jennifer bought another Christmas decoration. It was a snowman, and it was, it was wooden, and she literally just bought it, and she said, can you carry this to the car for me? I, Absolutely, honey. And so I'll pop open the back of my little Kia Soul, my little microwave oven that we drive with four wheels, and I go to place the snowman in the car, and you know what happens? The base of the snowman broke. And she looked at me, and she goes, I just bought it. Now, Gorilla Glue fixed it, so don't worry. But the joke that she said to me was, I can't have anything nice and be married to you, can I? Why do I share that story with you? I think that there is a tendency in the church today that we have such a low view of God's holiness that's not a biblical view of God's holiness at all. We think that somehow our sin could contaminate God. And it's, it's misapplied and it's mispreached many times in many Sunday school classes and from pulpits that the reason we can't stroll into God's holy presence is that somehow we would take him. Read the scriptures from cover to cover. That is f- the furthest thing from the truth. Do you know what happens to sinful people when they just stroll up into the presence of a holy God? They turn to salt. They turn to dust because Jesus is the light of the world. He is holy. He is pure. And when our imperfections and our impurity of sinfulness comes into the presence of a holy God, he obliterates us. So why do we worship King Jesus today? Because he's holy. And as John Calvin says, what's one of the many beauties and mysteries of the incarnation is that As God was revealing himself in Jesus in his incarnation, he was also veiling himself in the incarnation of Jesus Christ so that we could gaze and look upon King Jesus. Amen. The third reason Jesus is worthy of our worship today is that not only is he an eternal king and a holy king, but he's an authoritative king. You see this in the refrain in verses 3 through 9. It may have seemed a little bit redundant as I was reading it, but the phrase, the voice of the Lord, occurs seven times in those verses, between verse 3 and verse 9. And the picture there in in that section of the psalm is a picture of this magnificent storm that is coming across the nation of Israel. This song portrays a vivid and imaginative poetry in poetic form of a storm cloud coming eastward from the Mediterranean Sea, making landfall to the north of Canaan and the mountains of Lebanon, heading south to sweep through Israel over Mount Hermon, which is Mount Syrian, And then heads in to the desert. Our nation has just experienced a great storm that messed up a lot of plants. This storm pictured here 
is that powerful and that devastating. But what stands above the storm in this passage of Scripture? The voice of the Lord. In other words, Jesus is so powerful. Jesus is so omnipotent. Jesus is so authoritative that by the power of his spoken word, he can cause the storm. And we know from the Gospels, he can calm the storm. The storm that's pictured here is one that breaks the Lebanon cedars, which was the picture of strength in the Old Testament. Mount Hermon, which is Mount Searing there in verse 6, stands 10,000 feet above sea level there. But the voice of this God is so authoritative that it causes that mountain to shake and tremble and to dissolve and waste into the sea. And this voice had the power to speak at creation and bring light into the world, to bring humanity into the world and it was that same authoritative voice that made a promise in the garden that he would make a way where there appeared to be no way of reconciliation between a sinful creation and a holy authoritative creator This week, I had the privilege of having breakfast with one of the law enforcement officers in our area who works in the K-9 unit. Had his German shepherd, and we we were very curious about the training of the dog and the command of the dogs. And one of the the people asked the, the, the law enforcement officer, has the dog in the midst of his work ever accidentally turned and bit you? He's like, oh, yeah. Like, what did you do? He said, well, fortunately, the dog recognized my voice and my command, which is a German command to stop. By the way, I grew up with a German shepherd, but the Klein family has a tendency that we always get the reject dogs that don't make it through obedience school. But the police officer said to us, he said, fortunately, the, the dog recognizes my voice and my command. Friends, all of creation recognizes the voice of its creator. And God be praised that in God's electing, sovereign, saving grace, his sheep also hear and respond to his voice. When he says, come to me, all you who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. Why do we worship Jesus this Sunday morning? Because he's king, and he's an authoritative king who has the power to only promise, but the power to keep that promise and fulfill it. Which leads us to the fourth reason why Jesus is worthy of our worship this morning as king. He's a dependable king. And we see that really in in all of these verses, verses 1 through 11. You see that word, the name of God, Lord in all capitals, which stands for Yahweh. Do you know how many times the word Lord occurs just in this one psalm? It's 18 times. In fact, even as I read it for us this morning, I kind of had to chuckle because it was so repetitive. And there's a reason for that. 
Not only does that name of Yahweh and Lord in all capitals picture God's holiness, it's the covenant name of God. In other words, when you read the the scriptures and you see the name of the Lord in all capitals, God is highlighting the fact that he's a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And so as they have this picture of King Jesus here, we should be rejoicing and worshiping because the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3, that he would send his son, is fulfilled in King Jesus. As God makes his promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 that through him will come a savior. There will come a line that will bless all the peoples and the nations of the world. We see that fulfillment in King Jesus. As God made a promise to to Noah back in Genesis chapter 9 that he would never flood the, the earth with the sign of his judgment. We see that fulfilled in Jesus because Jesus came and he poured out his blood and the water of his soul To save you and save me. And then we see the Davidic messianic covenant made with King David. That through King David would come the Messiah. That would save his people from their sins. We see that fulfilled in Jesus. That's why we celebrate Bethlehem. That's why we celebrate the fact that Jesus went to Bethlehem. The the house and lineage of David. Because we see in King Jesus... The fact that God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. God's proven throughout all of redemptive history that he's a dependable God. He's a faithful God. And how does he prove it? Through Jesus. A number of years ago, one of my friends bought his wife something for Christmas that initially she didn't like. He bought her a, a week in Las Vegas, Nevada to attend a gun safety course. I know. Jennifer would be very bummed if I got that for her. By the end, though, she became very good. You had to be able to pull your gun from the holster, fire three shots, two to the chest, one to the head, and then reholster your gun in a certain time frame by the end of the week in order to pass the course. His wife didn't pass. But he did. And amazingly so, but he said his wife was a lot more confident with the, with the weapon, which he was, he, was, he was glad because she owns her own business for a number of reasons. He's, he's away sometimes with work. But he said something happened that week with his gun they had never seen. He owns a Glock, a very dependable gun that we, law enforcement officers use it, military use it. But he said his gun started jamming more than typical. And what he discovered was that by the end of the week, they had fired so many rounds through their weapon that the spring wore out on their gun. That's a lot of rounds. Friends, the Lord is so faithful and so dependable. No matter how much he pours out his grace, no matter how many promises he makes and keeps. His dependability, his faithfulness, to quote the Hebrew, his chesed, will never fade. He's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, and for that reason alone, King Jesus is worthy of our worship because we see all of God's promises 
fulfilled in King Jesus. The fifth reason that Jesus is worthy of our worship this morning, we're getting there, I assure you. All the presents have been unwrapped. What else you got to do, right? Joke. The fifth reason that King Jesus is worthy of our worship, we see in verse 10, he's a victorious king. He's a victorious king. Look here at the picture of Christ's victory. It says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. When do kings sit down? When they've proven their might, they've proven their authority, they've proven that they are successful in battle. They come back and they sit to rest and to reign. But there's something here that's happening in the Hebrew that I don't want you to miss. The word flood there is used only one or two other times in Scripture. And you have to go back to Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 9 to see it. What happens back in Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 9? The flood of Noah. What was that a sign of? God's judgment and God's grace combined in the flood. One of the reasons that we celebrate King Jesus, that he's a victorious king, and those that have been saved by his sovereign grace will rejoice because they have found themselves safely in the greatest ark of all, Jesus Christ. But those that find themselves outside of Christ should be afraid. Because there is coming another judgment day, And the next time will not be with the flood of water, but it will be flooded with the wrath of God's anger upon the earth. So this eternal, holy, victorious king challenges you today to bend your knee to him. You have two choices. You can either bend your knee to King Jesus on Judgment Day. That will not go well. That will end in the fire of God's wrath and judgment and hell. Or you can bend your knee twice. You can bend it now to experience His grace. And then on judgment day, be protected from his wrath. Because the scriptures say that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What is that passage of scripture saying? Every knee will bow and bend admitting that Jesus is victorious. He's the only king that's to be worshipped and adored. Sixth reason that Jesus deserves our worship this morning is that he's a gracious king. He's a gracious king. Look at verse 11. It says, May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Harry Ironside says that this this psalm is one of the most beautiful pieces of poetry. And what makes this psalm unique is that most psalms kind of have a complaint about God or they kind of have some big prayer requests that they're they're bringing and rolling out either at the front end of the psalm or middle way through the psalm. But what makes Psalm 29 so unique is that there's just this little request at the end. The the psalm is pure of praise. It's, It's pure worship to King Jesus. 
But what's a little bit of the prayer request here? May you grant us peace. In the Hebrew, it's shalom, which means wholeness. It means completeness. And how do we see that fulfilled? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. John Calvin says it this way. God exhibits his visible power, his grace to the view of the whole world indiscriminately. Yet God exerts in a peculiar manner in behalf of his elect people his grace. You may have had to go to a work Christmas party you didn't want to go to this year. Maybe you got guilted into buying a relative you don't really care that much about. A gift. Oh, you have to do it too. Don't worry. But know this. King Jesus did not have to come. The story of history could have been a very brief story, and it could have ended all the way back here in Genesis chapter 3. The history of the world could have been this long. Why are the scriptures this long? Because Jesus is a gracious king. And he chose to come and make a way where there was no way for us to be reconciled to our holy creator God. Why is King Jesus worthy of our worship? Because he's a gracious, gracious king. And the seventh final reason is that he's a coming king. He's a coming king. Why was this psalm part of the liturgy of Israel? They celebrated throughout redemptive history all of God's victorious redemptive acts, but they looked forward to the day when the Messiah would come. They looked forward to the day when God's presence would tabernacle among his people. The way Adam and Eve enjoyed God's presence in perfect purity and in the garden, they longed to have that again. And we see throughout redemptive history, throughout the scriptures, God giving promises and hints and little smidges of that experience and, and him tabernacling in, in, the, in, in the holy of holies in the presence and in the temple. We see it in our Lord and Savior, in the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But if we go to the end of the story, to Revelation chapter 22, what do we see? We see Jesus come again. We see that the perfect, pure, holy presence of King Jesus will dwell with his creation and those that he has redeemed. And that's why the book ends with surely I am coming soon. How as a victorious, gracious king, a dependable king, a 
worthy king. And they say in response, come, Lord Jesus. Do you remember how the movie, The Christmas Story, ends? There is Ralphie, cuddled up in bed with his Red Ryder BB gun. With not visions of sugar plums dancing in his head, but with him getting off hip shots and being successful. Friends, enjoy the peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because you know that there's coming a day when we will see and be with the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. But he will, we will not be cuddling him but he will be cuddling and cradling us in his loving, gracious arms. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and sing of his grace, his mercy, and love. Merry Christmas, Bartow. Enjoy your King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. That you're a God who made a way through your Son. And that is why we gather this day. It's because that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we know that no one comes to you except through him. Thank you for this great privilege of being able to worship you on Christmas Day this Sunday. May we live our lives, not only the remainder of this day and this week, but for the remainder of our lives. Let us live them with a bent knee in gratitude, love, and submission to Jesus, who is King. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.